Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Hey, Church Planner, this is Peyton Jones. You are here with me on Hardcore Church Planning, and my guest today is Steve Weens, author of the book Whole, and also a church planner in the Twin City areas. And I'm going to let him tell you more about himself. So, Steve, welcome on, man. Thanks so much, Peyton. It's great to be on. I, uh, As you said, I just wrote this book called Whole, Restoring What's Broken in Me, You, and the Entire World. So I have this passion that um, that we would sort of drop the, drop the pretense and admit that we all really do need restoration, but that our restoration isn't just for ourselves. It's actually for the world as well. So Awesome, man. We're going to dig into that a little bit. Um, Sweet. But first, something we always do is we ask how you came to faith. And the second thing is, how'd you get involved in this crazy little thing called church planting? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, so I grew up in the church, grew up in a Baptist church in Southern California, Oxnard. It's where I'm from. It's where I grew up. Yeah, Ventura County. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the mean streets of Oxnard in the 70s. Um, and, you know, I went to church uh, and never really bought it until I was 21. Um, I went to college and partied big time and really kind of, I mean, I I actually loved it. I, I had a blast until I got really, really tired of that. So I decided to work at a Christian camp, as you do, after you've spent three years partying in college. The first camp that um, it's the pipeline. I applied. It's like the church yeah. pipeline. That's what you <laughs> went through. Totally, well, youth pastor, <laughs> yeah, which youth I did. Pastor to, yeah, 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 yeah. It's camp youth pastor church planner. So, um, which is exactly what I did. But no, when I was twenty one, I worked at this camp, and I had a profound experience, actually, over the Eucharist. Uh, we were taking communion, and I, I, I can't, I can't explain it other than I had this supernatural sense that for the first time ever that God liked me. Um, not that God loved me because I knew God had to love me. That was part of the contract. 
But even in my mess, and I was a mess, uh, God liked me, and that really radically transformed um, me. I mean, I, 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 for so many people, it's a it's a progressive thing. They can't even tell, you know, when was the moment they came to faith. But for me, that was when it became really real, Peyton. Um, so I spent that summer working with kids, and then I decided to be a youth pastor. So, uh, you know, I went to grad school and and uh, was a youth pastor for, I don't know, 15 years or so. I love it, man. Um, you know, it, it's funny how you say that because uh, who was it, the late, great um, – Oh gosh, why am I blanking out? Um, Rich Mullins. He, uh, oh, yeah. used to talk about how when he was a kid, people tell him, you know, Hey man, don't be down. God loves you. And he's like, God loves me. So what? Like he yeah, loves exactly. everybody. Like he has to love me. He's God, you know, and <laughs> which we know is not true, but I totally get that, man. Because yeah. when you hear it from that, if you've been told all your life, God loves you. You know, you and I were geeking out a little bit before this on uh, liturgical worship, and uh, yeah. which a lot of people, they'll know if they listen to this podcast for any length of time, that it's kind of like my closet deal, right? Like, it's how I geek out. When I first <laughs> yeah. came to faith, I went to an Episcopal church. It, it's kind of a closet secret as well that I am actually a confirmed Episcopalian since I, uh, <laughs> yes. since, since I've been, since I came to faith, like not like I was raised that. Yeah. And no, like this was since I became, you know, so the, uh, people always get a kick out of that. But the reality is you, you, you were talking a little bit about how you had this profound experience with the Eucharist. Um, unpack a little, cause that's one of my favorite topics. Unpack a little bit. Um, in your church planting experience, we're going to get into whole, but in yep. your church planting experience, what is the power of the Eucharist or communion to a church planting scenario? I know I'm cheating and I'm skirting outside and I'm going off off the map, off the grid. I love it. Off I love topic, it. But what is the power of that in a church planting scenario? I, I love that we're going there first because this is one of these things that I can't talk enough about. But so our church is three and a half years old. It's called Genesis Covenant Church. We're part of the Evangelical Covenant denomination, which is sort of an um, offshoot of the Lutherans a couple hundred years ago. But essentially, we chose to be liturgical. We uh, and you know, liturgy liturgy simply means the work of the people, and so we wanted to start a church from Sunday all the way through the week that um, that the people were encountering each other and encountering God through Christ and encountering themselves. And so um, when we decided kind of how to do our weekly worship, one of the first decisions we made was to do Eucharist every single week and that the Eucharist was the centerpiece of the service. It's not the message. It's not the worship. It's not the benediction. So we, you know, kind of follow that fourfold, the old school, 1500 year old fourfold pattern of worship, which is gather word, table, send. Mm, I love and, that. Is yeah. That yours? Is that yours? No, man, th that's just a, that's just an old, that. old pattern. So gather, you know, these are the songs and, and the, and the prayers that we pray. I just, I word. love that categorization. That's really good, man. Well, it's a, say it's it a, say it again. Okay, so <laughs> gather. Uh, th these are our prayers. The, the, these are our songs of worship. These are, you know, we do a call to worship. We do do the doxology every week. That's sort of our church bells. And we do a call to worship. We do a couple songs. And then we read the scripture that's 
that's going to be preached on. And like, if I'm preaching, we always have a, a woman read the scriptures. If a woman's preaching, we always have a man read the scriptures. We want to hear both male and female voices. And then the message is, is about 20 minutes, you know? Um, and, and we're really kind of firm on that because the Eucharist is the main thing. So, so gather word, that's the reading the scripture, the teaching the scripture. And then table is the gathering around um, the table of the Lord. You might call it the common table, communion. We call it the Eucharist because that means the great Thanksgiving. And we believe in, in our denomination, it's funny, we, we and this is very our, our denomination, the Covenant Church, we believe that the communion bread and cup is both more than bread and cup, but less than the actual body right. and blood of Christ. So there's the mystery there. So, you know, we're saying it's not just symbol, it's sacrament. And that's right. a big thing for us. It's not just symbol, it's it's sacrament, something mysterious. You. Yeah. I'm 100% <laughs> with you. It's exactly, it's, it's a mystery and you can't yeah. explain it, but it is not merely a symbol. Something spiritual right. is, happening is happening at that moment. Something it's, holy is taking place. Yes, where we receive in some mysterious way, the broken body of Christ and the poured out blood of Christ so that we, because otherwise, how else will we do mission in the world if we are not receiving the body and blood of Christ? And we are not talking about getting saved again and again and again. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being empowered with the, if we're going to be the body of Christ in the world, we need to receive the body and blood of Christ in a real regular way. N.T. Wright used to say when he was a full-time, you know, bishop minister, he would take the Eucharist every day because he had to. Mm. <laughs> That's profound, you know. Now he's he's Anglican, you know, so that might be a little different than some of the listeners, but, you know, but I, communion is bigger than um, a time to scratch your head and worry about your sin. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. so much bigger than that. Yeah, it's so, a connection yeah. with Christ. And I, you know, yeah. I, it's interesting because I, I have a communion set. I have a Celtic handmade uh, clay yes. communion set in my office that, uh, you know, is, is mine. Sometimes my wife and I will take it. Sometimes I yeah. will take it, my devotion. And so, man, we're, we're on the same page here. And Love I think, it. I think for church planners to, you know, often we're a product of what we've known and there's so much more and things go so much deeper. And I'm super excited about that, but I know we are here as well to talk about your book. That's the main reason we're here, but you know, we geeked out. We could talk about anything, man. I church planting. I'll try to weave both into both. Well, yeah, man. And one one last thing before we completely leave this topic, I want to talk because you, you have self-confessedly identified your church plant as a liturgical uh, church plant. And so, uh, you know, the only three part series I did was with some Anglicans from always forward. And we cool. talked about missional sacraments and we, we hit on this and it's one of my favorite topics. But here's, here's the question. The younger generation, uh, if you've come from a, an evangelical, say Baptist or non-denominational background, you may be unaware of the trend that is happening right now with the unchurched coming into this type of worship, they are connecting with it. Now, this can be a total shock for people that are unaware. Can you unpack that a bit? What's happening? Why is the younger generation connecting with liturgical worship? 
Well, number one, I, I completely agree based on just anecdotal evidence with our own church and with other churches around the country that I'm that I'm talking to, around around the world actually. And I think number one, I think especially for Christians who've grown up in the big box church where you do, you know, sort of lights and and really, really good, good music, nothing wrong with any of that. But the those tend to be big. And the bigger it gets, um, the more, uh, the less the connection is to the mystery and to the rest of the people. And I think people that are um, embracing Christianity now are embracing mystery. They don't, I, this is my opinion, they don't want to walk away from church having the, you know, the mo- the three, um, <laughs> the three tips of how to do their work week. Not that that's not important, but I think enough of those series packages where we get the hot videos and the cool band, I just think people are starting to kind of say, there's nothing wrong with this, but this this doesn't feel rooted in anything ancient. And I think that's what, so, you know, it's interesting in the fourth century when Constantine was the first Roman emperor who uh, institutionalized Christianity. And so Christianity went from being this underground persecuted thing to now, you know, emperors were building cathedrals in Jerusalem and the, and toward the end of the fourth century, people like Gregory of Nyssa, St. Basil of Nyssa, this is when the monastic movement started and sort of as a, as a rebellion against the collusion between Christianity and the empire, people started to develop started to to develop these contemplative practices. And I think we're seeing it again at sort of the end of Christendom. I mean, I, I think, you know, you talk to almost anybody, not the end of Christianity, but the end of Christendom, where empire is the same thing as Christianity, the great American Christian nation. That idea is ending. Yeah. And so we have to ask, how is it that Christianity will continue to thrive? And it will. But but it won't look like it has looked, and that's what I think you're you're pointing to. Yeah. We, we're the smaller, and and our and our church is committed to small. So I mean, we're you know a couple hundred people, maybe three hundred on a you know super good day when the counters are feeling you know generous and maybe a little drunk. Um, but um, we're we're three years old, and we're and and we're planting another church this this December. Because we're we're just committed to that sacramental um, life on life uh, in incarnational presence with one another. See, and this is this is ahead of the curve. This is something very similar to um, what we found in Wales. So I was a missionary in Wales for twelve years. No way. And it, it it's very interesting because everything you're saying, um, the the commitment to small, it's it's the way we had to be. Yeah. Right. Because we were, we were very much in a post-Christian society and the post-Christian society often mirrors a pre-Christian society and what yes. we need to do to thrive and survive. And so even, you know, get this right here. We were, we started out of a Starbucks and a discussion group. I wasn't trying to plan a church at just room full of unbelievers who started coming to faith through these conversations and, Eventually we, we did. It was, it was over worship that we said we need to, to really do some, but we need to keep 
this dynamic, but we found particularly with certain types of outreach um, around Christmas, for example, we would go very traditional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was evangelistically more effective, you know, whereas today here you'd be like, Oh no, you got to get away from tradition. All yeah, kind of. Yeah. So brother, it, it's really interesting. You and you and I need to be talking more. We do. Uh, anyway, I love this, but, yeah. uh, but I want to talk about whole, which, yeah. uh, is restoring what is broken in me, you and the entire world. Now you are a wordsmith. You are a very gifted, um, writer. You have a way with mm-hmm. words and, um, I would love to just kind of hear every book has a story behind the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. What led you to, 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 cause I know that the book is also connected to your own brokenness and your yeah. own process, but what led to the writing of this book? Well, I think I've always had a, um, well, not always ever since I had this profound experience of being liked by God. <laughs> I've, I've had this real uh, bent toward, um, authentic is such an overused word, Peyton, you know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. like a sense of we bring what actually is, we bring what actually is as, as pastors, we bring what we are, whether we know it or not. And so I might as well like know it. And, um, I think I was, you know, uh, so we had just planted Genesis and I, and, and I write about this, like the two closest people that I planted the church with besides my wife, this guy named Steve, who's our associate pastor and this woman named Katie, who's our director of operations. Both of them went through tremendous, um, and I write about this, but, um, brokenness and because of that, so did I. And then I was seeing around the world, like I'll never forget the video that everybody saw of the little five-year-old boy being pulled out of a burning building in Damascus. And he gets set down in that orange ambulance and his face is all bloody. He reaches up with his one hand and he kind of wipes his face and he's, he looks just completely dazed and he's completely alone. And, you know, the war over there had been going on in Syria for five years. But I think that was the first moment that most of Americans realized the impact. You know, it's like that yeah. when, when that little boy's body um, yeah. washed up on the shore. It's kind of the same thing. And um, and I had conversation after conversation with with people who felt this this sort of empathic fatigue, you know, like I, I feel like I need to do something. I, I, I want to do something, but I, but I just don't know what. And when I get that way, honestly, Peyton, I need to write. Um, right. that's how I, I, that's how I think my way into and out of something. And so, um, so that's part one. Part two is I, I've had the privilege to be able to work with this rabbi, this Jewish rabbi for seven or eight years. And he has this way of diving into scripture, which is so it's Socratic. So it's all based on these questions. And so whole came to fruition on the basis of these questions that, you know, that I've started to really see mm. in the Hebrew scriptures and in, and in, in the New Testament. So like the first chapter is the first question that God asks human beings in the scriptures, which is, where are you? So it's what Adam and Eve are, are asked when they eat the fruit. They go into hiding. They're they're no longer naked and unashamed. They've covered themselves because they're filled with shame. And it's this question that we that's how restoration starts with God asking us, Steve, where are you? Uh, and it's not a question that 
produces shame. It's a question of intimacy. It's a question that, you know, because I like you so much, I want to ask you, church planter, Steve, in year one, when you're fighting with your associate pastor and want to fire him and your director of operations is in the mental hospital. And now you want to just do it all all by yourself. And you're worried the whole thing's going to burn down, which it almost did. Where, where are you? Um, and if we don't start with that question, and that's how the whole story starts in the Bible, if we don't start with that question, then we're just going to keep pretending that everything's fine and that we got it. And I think us church planters, man, we are so, it's like our ego is what enables us to do it. <laughs> like, like, I don't know anyone who would do the work of church planning without a healthy ego. Like, yeah, sure, I can do it. Um, but then the very thing that allowed us to gather all these people um, is the very same thing that will burn us to the ground. Mm. Um, and when it does, we have the option of either hiding and staying hidden or burning out or doing something really stupid to escape the stress of it. Mm. Or we can hear this question from God. Um, where are you? Where are you? And so, um, I just kind of launched into it, but because, yeah. And so I, you know, we were joking around about the Bible earlier before we (laughs) pressed record. Um, man, I love the Bible and I love the Bible primarily because in it are some of the most amazing questions that we will ever encounter. Uh, deep, intimate, theological, existential questions. You know, like when uh, God asks Cain, um, hey, where's your brother? <laughs> you know, and, and Cain says, hey, am I, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Um, and then God doesn't answer that question. And so we know for the whole rest of Genesis, we're going to be, we're going to be answering that question. Mm. Am I my brother's keeper? Because we see all these brothers, you know, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. Brothers are fighting against brothers for the entire book of Genesis until they finally figure out how to see to the wholeness of each other, how to see to the shalom of each other. So, um, so this book is primarily about um, seeing to the shalom of each other in this brokenness that we, that we, if we have the courage to name it, um, then we can go somewhere. You know, what, what fascinates me is I train church planning trainers and in studying Jesus as a trainer, um, yeah. I, I found when I, cause most of the training that I do involves not being the guru and telling someone, but it involves leading them to aha holy spirit yes. through moments through questioning very much like a rabbinical yeah. questioner but i didn't realize how rabbinical jesus was so everything you're saying right now about the old testament i've never seen that pattern before until you pointed out and and i find it fascinating because yes god asks these questions jesus he asked 307 questions yes. in the gospels yes. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. asked 183 <laughs> questions in the Gospels, out of which he only answers three. Yeah, that's directly. just it's so it, that is so incredible, right? Um, and you're totally right. I mean, Jesus was Jewish, right? I mean, we kind of forget that. Like, he wasn't Christian; he was Jewish. 
probably trained by a rabbi. Some people say he was a rabbi. Um, and so, of course, he he taught in this way. And if you've ever been like I'm, I, I would love to sit in in this circle of of mentees who are mentored by you, Peyton. I'd love to see their brains work, you know, as you ask the question, you know, because it's sometimes uncomfortable. Yeah. It's it's sometimes, you know, uh, they don't have the answer, and that's when you know then then it's a really really good question, yeah. and and it's also a great way to break ego, right? Because yeah. you know, all of a sudden you have a little group of people. And you throw out a question and then you can pretty, you can pretty soon see who wants to be the A student, you know, like who wants to be the dude who like, he has all the answers and then everyone else hates that guy, even though they think that's how they're going to be loved. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's always a Peter. That was Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. totally, Yeah. 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 Ron Epstein or, or her shack and uh, welcome back. Oh, 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 you know, yes, Peter, you know, (laughs) you just dropped welcome back. I did. It's what I do, man. And I'm a walking, talking encyclopedia of pop culture. I'm like the, the church planning version of Ready Player One. So. White Shadow. Were you a White Shadow guy? Did you watch that? No. What's that? It that sounds it's, kind of familiar. This basketball coach, and I, I, now I can see his face, but not his name. <gasps> that's, I remember that. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. Do you remember? Okay. So since we're geeking out, yeah. um, remember Bigfoot and Wild Boy? Of course. Nobody of ever course. remembers Bigfoot and Wild Boy. Yeah. I, I try to, it's like I, I'm king from, from the Kung Fu, you know, like I've wandered the earth trying to find Bigfoot and Wild Boy. Okay. So this is bad. So back to your book, right? <laughs> like, which hey, includes Bigfoot and Wild Boy. Ironically, no, it doesn't. Please never put me on Peyton Jones's show again. Note to publicists. <laughs> no. So it's awesome. All right, man. So, um, you know, okay. So, so when you're talking in a whole, um, you, you know, really it's about the, you don't give simple answers like that. No. If you're looking, you know, for, for a book that's going to give you, Hey, you know, here's your six steps to, or here's your, here's the method. Um, you know, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about where you go in the book, where you're leading us on a journey, um, uh, pointing us in a direction, not so much giving us the six easy steps to, um, tell me about what, what this means for the reader who finds himself on this journey. What is this going to do to him? Thank you. Beautiful question. Well, I mean, part of the deal with, um, the, the formula on one level, we want the formula because, because we like things that seem like they work. The problem with the formula is that, um, we, we can't copy someone else's spiritual journey. So the really good, the really good leaders, the really good teachers, Find a way somehow to help you find your journey by, you know, sort of like a river rafting guide. Every every day the river is going to be a little different. So that that guy's going to know the river, um, but it's different when it's class five. It's different mm-hmm. when it's class three. Right. So that's I'm, I'm, I'm what I'm trying to do is tell my story. And I am very personal in this in this book about my own brokenness as a way of inviting people to see their own story. Um so I, I, and so I tell a story in chapter five, I think about, um, I'm taking these surfing lessons and, <laughs> you know, I, again, I, I grew up in Oxnard, but I never surfed cause I was a little too young. I moved away when I was about 13 and, or maybe no one took me 
so it's always been this this hope to learn how to surf. So I was in Laguna Beach with a buddy who was doing some writing and he's like, man, let's, you know, let's go surfing. And so we found this company who, who would take us for 50 bucks and we got this email like, OK, bring, you know, bring a towel, bring your sunscreen. And then he said, and comma, et cetera. Right. And when I was when I was writing. <laughs> Right. So I, I got out there and I was a fool. I mean, it's so hard. It's way harder than it looks. And I was on this big aircraft carrier, this blue boat, and I still couldn't get up. And I was so I, I couldn't even sit on the surfboard. Like, you know, that cool, like how people sit on the board yeah, and they just look yeah. cool with the no, sun in the background. It and it's I I kept flipping over like a like yeah. a like a anyway. So, yeah, totally yeah. embarrassed. You know, but if you've never surfed, you don't know this about sitting on a surfboard that takes a skill it's hard and then you got to learn how to turn on it when you're sitting on it you know to, to, yeah, yeah you know and even keep maybe yourself, that's what i didn't know keep yourself straight you know that you if you want to go right you twirl the left leg i mean they, they're little you know there's all kinds of stuff well i was a total newbie so so i'm writing about it and this aha moment came for me and it's around this etc and that became the major focus of the chapter and how i define the etc is the et cetera is what you will need for your journey, which is completely unique to you, right. but you'll only find it after you've started on the journey, after you've done, after you've failed a little bit. And, and then, so, so I write about Jesus sending his disciples out and he sends them out two by two, thank God, or else they would have quit. But he says, don't take an extra money bag. Don't take an extra tunic. Don't take a, you know, only take a staff, I think. Don't take extra shoes. And on one level, that, that looks like hazing, you know, like, why would you do that? But on another level, I, I really think it's one of these beautiful rabbinical ways of saying, you're going to, I can't tell you guys, I honestly cannot tell you what you're going to need mm. um, other than the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. my presence with you. But you're going to go into a certain house, and I don't know what it's going to be, but you're going to need a certain thing to be able to relate to those people. You're going to find yourself in front of demons, and you're going to find yourself in front of people who, uh, you know, they maybe have they have leprosy, and you're going to need to heal them, and you're going to need to find out what you need by doing it, and yeah. that is the etc. And I think taking it back to church planting, like I, I think there are principles for church planting for sure, but every single person listening. They're planting in Portland. They're they're planting outside of Portland. They're planting in Texas. They're planting in the Northeast, which is completely different. I, I preached in this church in Providence, Rhode Island. Let me tell you, that is radically different than preaching in the Twin Cities. And everyone needs to discover what their et cetera is. And it only comes through failure and pain and trying things and, you know, figuring it out. And and discovering who that who that symbolic person is next to you. Right. Maybe it's one person, maybe it's two or three people, but like we will fail without it. Man, if you're if you're all alone, um, um, my advice to you is 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 try to find someone to come alongside you. Maybe it's a volunteer, but someone that can help you carry the load because it's too heavy. I dig it, man. Well, guys, the book is whole, and the author is Steve Weens, and we are running out of time, which always sucks, but um, <laughs> it is what it is, man, and and this is part of the brokenness of the world that we live in. Um, I think I found a new friend today, 
And, uh, anyways, hopefully you guys have found a new book and, you know, definitely pick it up, read it. It's, um, it's not the first book that you've written. You've written another book, um, called Beginnings, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And what, what's the subtitle on that one? Uh, the first seven days of the rest of your life. So it's really, it, it takes the seven days of creation, not as literal, um, like six 24 hour periods, but as a pattern for discovering your own becoming. So every day has, has a different movement to it where your own spiritual formation can be uh, sort of compared and contrasted to it. So Very cool. We'll check out these books. You can find them everywhere that fine Christian books are sold. Uh, Steve, where can they catch up with you at? Uh, steveweens.com, uh, just steve, W-I-E-N-S.com. I have a podcast called This Good Word, which is super fun. I've interviewed a bunch of great people, Richard Rohr, Rob Bell, um, Sarah Bessie. Um, and, but steveweens.com, you can get all my writing and the podcast and all that stuff. So Very cool, man. And if you Google, if you go to Amazon and by mistake you Google Stephen Weens, a um, bunch of Marvel comics will come up. So, <laughs> yes, um, I'd get into that. Yeah, he's not that guy, Wolverine, Thor. He's not that dude. Um, <laughs> this is steveweens.com. And uh, you're going to go try it now, aren't you? You're going to you're gonna go Google I'm it. Totally, I'm totally there's another if you if you if you put beginnings into Amazon, maybe my book will come up. But the other book that comes up is this super cheesy romance novel with this dude just bare chested in the front. You know, it's awesome. Awesome. You know, if you go to PeytonJones.com and PeytonJones.org, I think one guy is like a computer scientist. He's like world renowned. And it's Peyton hyphen Jones, but he's got the website. Yeah. And, uh, the other one is a chick, uh, her first name is Julia and she's a total new age crystal guru. And, uh, so, you know, I, I did not make out in the domain name. So <laughs> I am very glad you have steveweens.com. And, uh, he's been our guest today. Thanks for coming on, Steve. We appreciate it, man. And, uh, with that, Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.